The following podcast contains explicit language. This is Correct Politically. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Correct Politically. My name is Joshua M. Hamewitz, and I'm here with my uh, co-host, Josh Romano. Welcome back, everybody. Rafi Blumenthal. Hey there. And Nissan Riblin. Hello. That's right. It's the four of us together again uh, doing a full cast podcast here. So let's get into it, shall we? So those of you who know me know that I love history. I listen to a ton of history podcasts, watch an insane amount of documentaries. Um, American history in particular is just endlessly fascinating to me. And as I continue to study and survey the political entities throughout world history, I just continue to take more pride in this, what I think is this country's greatest accomplishment, which is the political system. Now, the way the system has worked has evolved over time. And I don't think I'm alone in thinking that at this point in time, the position of president of the United States comes with more power than ever before. This is because he or she will have not only more control over the country's policies than the position ever had before, but also because the U.S. has more power than it's ever had. So a couple Tuesdays ago, the American people made the decision to hand all of this power over to Donald J. Trump, a businessman and political outsider. He also ran the Miss USA pageant, starred in the reality show Celebrity Apprentice, gave Howard Stern permission to call his daughter a piece of ass, referred to Mexican immigrants as rapists, accused a gold star family of not allowing his wife to speak while they were at the podium at the Democratic National Convention, threatened not to protect NATO countries who don't pay, and said this to Billy Bush. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Whatever you want. Grab him by the pussy. (laughs) Now a portrait of him will line the wall along with our beloved leaders, George Washington, John Adams, FDR, JFK, Donald Trump. It seemed almost destiny that Hillary Clinton, the uh, most prepared person in American history, would be our next president. So first we have a black president, and then we have a woman president, and who knows, maybe in 2024 we'll have a gay or transgender president. Uh, And the polls looked promising for her. We are all sort of sitting pretty in our uh, liberal perch in New York, basking in our ignorance of how America actually feels, and slowly coming to realize how little we understand about this country. No matter how you feel about it, Trump securing the nation's top spot was a shock to everyone. And I think that everyone's going to remember where they were and how they felt when they found out the results of the election. So I'd like everyone in the podcast to first share briefly their personal experiences on election night, how it unfolded, and at what point you uh, came to accept the inevitable result. So, uh, Josh, why don't you get started? So I was actually in China on a uh, business trip. And uh, I was using my phone as a hotspot and also doing work at the same time. I actually had a flight later on that day, coming back to uh, America, coming back to New York. And it was around 10.30 in the morning in China. It was 10.30 here. It's a 12-hour layover, 12-hour time difference. And uh, Nitsan also was in Singapore. And I was also texting with Roth. And we were all kind of texting with each other. I was trying to get updates. And I was watching CNN and I... like. I just started getting really, really nervous, and I was like, I can't watch this anymore. Like, I can't watch. I'll figure out what happens eventually. Like, I can't watch this anymore. It's freaking me out. I don't know what's going to happen. And then, obviously, later on that night, you know, some of the other states started going for Trump, and, like, you know, we figured out what happened. But, like, 
I was getting on the plane, and it was around 4.30, and Rafi actually sent out the acceptance speech, the, uh, the live stream, and I started watching it, and I, I started crying. I mean, I literally got, like, came to tears, but I was just, like, it literally, I was embarrassed to be an American that were, day. were people around you asking you about the election? Um, surprisingly, not really. I mean, people were kind of, like, going about their day. I don't think it really, like, people didn't really give a shit, um in China that much. I mean, they did, but like not the people that were around me. It's funny. The, um, the person that I work with in China, the owner of the factory, um, had a big smile on his face because he knew that I was like for Hillary. And he's like, looks like Trump is going to win. And I was like, fuck you, man. I was like, come on. (laughs) Um, But they didn't think it was weird that there was like a grown man, like crying on the plane. I mean, with you, it might just feel normal, but (laughs) Yes, maybe there were. I mean, I you know, I wasn't like it wasn't like sobbing uncontrollably, but like I was de- I like I had to turn it off because I was just like this is I, I was just I, I it, it's very hard to describe what you were feeling at that moment. You were just feeling very numb and very sad and like as I said embarrassed to be uh, to be an American. Yeah, so Rafi, uh tell us about how your night went. I don't think that you were particularly uh What's the word for it? Nissan? <laughs> Emotional? <laughs> Elated? <laughs> Elated. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think I shared a sort of similar feeling as Romano did. Um, I guess that uh, to me also, like once you, I don't even remember like which state turned when, but there was a point where like one of the Rust Belt states uh, were called for Trump, or maybe it was actually, I think, either North Carolina or Florida, I don't remember, where I was like, fuck, like this is going to be really tight and or like might be over. Um, I also found like similarly that watching the results come in like on any of the news channels just like overwhelmed me with anxiety. Um and the only thing I was doing was just like texting with a bunch of friends and all just like sharing our anxieties and also watching the um, 538 blog, which I felt was like both a good way of keeping up with the latest things coming in and also like not um, just sort of like amplifying potential uh, things you don't need to worry about. And yeah, I mean, I think once it became apparent and or official, it really um it it was a um sort of like visceral thing i think for me and it did sort of challenge a lot of the things i'd assumed to be true and or um would happen um and it was sad for me to see that that was the direction we uh as a country had had or as an electoral college had uh, um opted to go in I just wanted to add something. Nissan has been my ambassador of bedwetting for most of the campaign and most of the election. And, like, he had a meeting, I think, around 1030, whatever time it was. So I was like, what the hell is going on? Like, where is Nissan? Like, I need to know what's going on. And then, like, before uh, his meeting, he was like, don't worry. You know, we'll see what happens. And then after the meeting, he's like, I'm shitting the bed right now. Like, you should literally be shitting the bed. Also, we're screwed. So I just wanted to add that part in thing. It was a rainy day in Singapore. <laughs> the gods were angry. <laughs> but Nissan was in Singapore, listeners. <laughs> yeah, if that wasn't clear. Um, no, I think I was I was at work. I had a meeting. I couldn't really follow like so closely, but I was like peeking uh, here and there to like uh, the New York Times and to see how the votes were coming in and what their projection was going to be. Uh, I think it became clear more or less when like uh, Trump won a f- 
like Ohio by like nine, 10 points. And it was just like, okay, if he won Ohio by that much, more likely than not, he's going to do better in other Rust Belt states. And then I think like Pennsylvania was like really down to the wire. And like people were just like, oh, maybe Hillary stole the shot. I was like, no, no, she really doesn't. <laughs> um, so <laughs> so um, I think it became like more or less pretty evident. Um, I didn't have to stay up all night like you guys, like people in the U.S. did because it was afternoon over there. So I was just following it as it was going. Um, and yeah, you know. Did you have to go to work the next day? Yeah, we got drunk that night, though, <laughs> <laughs> to ease the pain. Uh, so, for me, the election night went pretty much exactly like this. This is election night in America. I can't believe after all this, it's going to finally be over. I don't know. We'll see. Trump's already got lawyers to fight the results. <laughs> okay, so. don't even joke about that, or I will leave. Guys, we're about to have our first woman president. Like, this is going to be a historic night. Yeah. Yeah, it might be a historic night, but just don't forget, it's a big country. My friend at the Huffington Post says she wins by five points. Oh, I don't know. My friend at Slate says she'll win by three. Oh, well, she'll definitely win the Electoral College, for sure. But I guess there's like a nightmare scenario where he wins the popular vote. So we have an election party and we're just basically patting each other on the back being like, we did it, guys. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing that we're worried about is Trump disputing the results. Right. But but <laughs> all those Facebook posts really paid off. <laughs> <laughs> and like we were, it was what, we were just so sure that we knew what was going to happen. It, it, it was there was no way that that Trump was going to win. Okay, this says Florida is too close to call. Okay, no, no, it says too early to call. There's only 1% in. You know what, I'm going to go ahead and call it. Florida's going blue. To Latinos. To Latinos! (laughs) And then just, like, one thing after another after another, uh, we start seeing, like, okay, so Trump is ahead in the electoral votes, but that's normal because the blue states haven't come in yet. Fine, whatever. Um... But then, like, one by one, the states, the swing states started going. So well, of course he's going to win Ohio. We knew that. But if we can get Pennsylvania, Florida, and North Carolina, we don't even need Ohio. Yeah, and if the Indians have four more runs, uh, they would want a World Series, too, dude. So this is the SNL skit from, like, right after the election with Dave Chappelle. And it's just amazing because I just saw my night just acted out on SNL where it was like, okay, so he's going to win Ohio. We knew he was going to win Ohio, but... You know, Hillary's still going to win because she's going to yada, yada, yada. And every single time something like that happened, we would like re-justify it and be like, okay, this is how Hillary's going to have her path to the presidency. Look, early returns are always going to be Republican because Republicans go to sleep early. That's just a fact. Um, I just talked to my brother-in-law at CBS. He says Trump's going to win Florida. Where? Uh, I guess that the the Latinos didn't hear about your toast. So even after Florida fell, we're like, oh, yeah, but she's going to get like Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, and yada, yada. Okay, um, all she has to do is come back and win Wisconsin, come back and win Michigan, come back and win uh, Pennsylvania. And some of the counties, are the urban counties, are, they're so, black people vote late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's hope there's 100,000 of us in Green Bay. Eventually, I uh, went back home at 1230 at that point. Uh, Pennsylvania was still not called officially, but it was looking pretty bad for Hillary. 
And that was like the last reasonable path to the presidency for her at that point in the night. And I went home still totally 100%. And I shit you not convinced that Hillary was going to win and that she was going to make a comeback in Pennsylvania. And I watched and watched and watched until 3 a.m. when Hillary made the concession call. And that was when I first realized what was really, really happening. And it was totally shocking. Uh, We were all in a pretty big state of surprise after the election night, and uh, we weren't alone. Pretty much everyone in the country was uh, pretty taken aback by the way the night has unfolded, and everyone had sort of interesting reactions. So I would like everyone to sort of share what they felt was some of the either funnier or more interesting reactions. So Romano, why don't you share with us uh, an ele- a reaction, an election reaction you thought was uh, struck a chord? Uh, so Nissan actually, the, a couple of days afterwards, sent me a very interesting clip from Stan Van Gundy, who was talking about uh, the election, like very, very simplistically and very, very, I thought, on point. No, He's the coach of the uh, Detroit Pistons. So I didn't vote for Bush, but... I mean, he was a, I mean, he's a good, honorable man who, with whom I had political differences, so I didn't vote for him. But for our country to be where we are now, that we took a guy that, I don't care what anybody says, I'm sure they have other reasons and maybe good reasons for voting for Donald Trump, but I don't think anybody can deny this guy is openly and brazenly racist and misogynist and ethnocentric and say that's okay with us we're going to vote for him anyway we have just thrown a good part of our population under the bus he basically was just saying how crazy it was that america just elected this racist i don't even know if i had political differences with him. i don't even know what his politics are other than no i mean i just thought it was a very um on point um, reading of what happened from a guy who, like most people, wouldn't necessarily care what he thought about politically. He's also a pretty brazen person himself. The fact that he was so shocked by what happened. The fact that millions and millions of Americans don't, don't think that racism and sexism disqualifies you to be our leader in our country. And also the fact that, like, he also said that it's not only the fact that, like, elitists... Um, liberals voted for him or like didn't vote for him it was about the whole country and about how like the whole country let him down and i mean i have been ashamed of a lot of things that have happened in this country can't say i've ever been ashamed of our country until today that's pretty much how i felt also that night so rafa you scoured the internet for uh, all sorts of political pundit uh, reactions so uh, do you have anything that you could share yeah, I'm done reading about politics, but <laughs> I do find myself doing that uh, from time to time. Um, and I just thought that uh, it would be worth highlighting the work of one journalist in particular, and that would be uh, Jamel Bowie um, from Slate.com. And um, I just think in general, his election coverage has really been on point. 
Um, Jamel himself, just to sort of frame his coverage, comes from a family that's, um, you know, from the South. I don't know where exactly, but that was sort of like, you know, been in America for generations. I believe like at least some of his ancestors were slaves themselves. And he's sort of schooled in like the history and intellectual um, movements of African-Americans going back, you know, several decades and even centuries. So he's sort of like been one of the few voices, in my opinion, that have not shied away from looking at some of the uglier um, implications of of a Trump victory and kind of like not trying to, uh, you know, preach empathy or preach moving forward or kind of like normalizing it. Like all those things are also important. But sort of like um, sometimes I think losing the forest for the trees, it, it is still valuable to stop and reflect upon what um, the implications are and lessons are from this election that just happened. And like, you know, with it so close in our rearview mirror, it seems like a lot of the coverage very rapidly turned to like looking forward. And I think Jamel's provided some excellent um, analysis and insight into the kind of like rear view looking back and what we learn from it. If you want to read um, just, you know, one of, of several good pieces he wrote in the past uh, week or two, I would uh, encourage you to read his article called White One, as in W-O-N, um, uh, which was like sort of like his initial knee-jerk uh, reflection piece. So it's interesting that you say that, Rafi, because if you're anti-Trump, your reaction uh, to the results of the election seems to me to fall under two broad categories. And one is to be like, okay, so we got to, you know, sort of give this guy a shot. Like he hasn't done anything yet. He's said a lot of things. He said a lot of things on the campaign trail, but we have to see what he's going to do before we react. Um, And then... that's on one side. And then the other side is to go ahead and say, like, this is not normal. Like, this is messed up. John Oliver says it uh, better than me. And respecting democracy means accepting that. Although there is one sentiment that I would argue takes that a little too far. The man hasn't even been a president for a day yet. All right. Let's give him a chance to be the president. Give Donald Trump a chance. We now have to give him a chance and see how he's going to govern. The American people should give him a chance to govern because if he succeeds, we succeed. Now, in the broadest sense, I get that impulse. Hope for the best in the face of very long odds. It's like we're on a plane and we just found out our pilot is a wombat. I don't like this, I don't understand how it happened, and I'm pretty sure we're headed for disaster, but what the hell? Come on, Batty, prove me wrong! And and the thing is, optimism, optimism is nice if you can swing it, but you've got to be careful because it can feed into the normalization of Donald Trump. And he is not normal. He is abnormal. He's a human, what is wrong with this picture? He sticks out like a sore thumb, and frankly, he even looks like a sore thumb. So so giving him a chance, in the sense of not speaking out immediately against policies that he's proposed, is dangerous, because some of them are alarming. I think what he's trying to say is that if you're an anti-Trump person, you need to remain diligent. You need to be looking out for the types of things that uh, are, are playing into the different fears that, that people had about his ascendance to power and, um, and not to treat this like any normal situation and not to give him a blank slate. Uh, I don't know which attitude is the right one to have, but uh, I just think it's interesting to see it playing out. 
Nissan, why don't you give us more of the quantitative perspective? So uh, following the election, there are a lot of different, um, a lot of different analysis on who voted and how and when and is this in line with what happened in previous elections and a lot of like stuff that was said originally that as it turned out turned out to be false. So. Um, one thing that I, I took issue with is that less people voted in 2016 than they did in 2012. And as it turns out, that actually is false in the sense that the percentage of the electorate was more or less in line with who voted in 2012. Um, and originally, right after the election, people were saying, you know, Trump received less votes than Romney and then McCain um, did in 2012 and 2008, respectively. But in fact, after a lot of the votes were counted since then and absentee ballots came in, as it turns out, Trump received 61.5 million votes, which is the fifth most all time. Uh, Clinton, however, received 63 million votes, which is the third most all time. Anybody want to take a guess who got the most? Obama, Obama? 08, and then 12. Obama, 08, on 12. Who was number four? Donald oh, Trump, right? No, W. Bush, 04. Yeah. Wow. Oh, wow. Thanks. Oh, wow. <laughs> Wait, where, where does <laughs> Donald... The election trivia. Yeah, yeah. Where, do, where does Trump... Uh, Trump where does ranks from? fifth, uh, oh. right after Bush. Uh, well, you, know, you would think that uh, the most recent ones are, are more likely to, to yeah, be higher Yeah, like, like right? I think people have been participating more and more uh, in the election. In and the also past. we have a higher population now than we did. No, but there's a percentage of the population. Oh, well. oh, sorry. Well, no, that's true. You're right. You're, they have a higher population. But what I was saying before about being in line with 2012 wasn't like the raw numbers. It was actually the percentage of the population. Oh, cool. Don't people also have this perception that like when more people turn out, Democrats are usually going to win? Right. So that's why I think it's interesting what you're saying is that like most people had this perception that people weren't really going to turn out, but people did in fact turn out and Republicans still won. Yeah. So it's a rainy days are bad for Democrats. Well, it's interesting. That's a, yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's interesting to look at um, by state what the um, percentage of the population showed up relative to past elections. And Nate Silver actually did something pretty cool with this on 538 where they showed like the map, like showing how many more voters in each state voted. And what I'm going to get to in a second is that in the states that Clinton won, you know, like California and New York, she did better than Obama did. Uh, however, in the states where she really needed to win, like Pennsylvania and Michigan and Wisconsin, um, in the specific counties in which Obama did very well and she did slightly poorer. Right? There's a and lesson in here somewhere, isn't there? Well, yeah, and, and also, like, on the flip side of that is that she, like, lost by less than Obama in states, correct me if I'm wrong, like Texas and right. Arizona, right? Yeah. But, like, that doesn't count for anything. Right. If you win by one vote or if you win by a million votes, it doesn't really matter. Um, so, besides that, Pew did a... But remember, our founding fathers instituted the Electoral College so that we wouldn't fall prey to a demagogue. So, you know, it's, it's a good thing to know that our institutions are uh, holding strong. Sure. Uh, they couldn't have foreseen the Celebrity Apprentice. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, wasn't one of the Federalist Papers? <laughs> so I also wanted to talk a little bit about demographic breakdowns in this election, and Pew did an interesting analysis based on the exit polls. So we'll start by saying that exit polls are not, you know, written in stone, and they're not, uh, like, these necessarily like the best indicators of what happened, but they do provide some insight. So let's look at it based on race, education, and age. So one of the big narratives going into the election was that, you know, uh, Clinton would lose whites in general, but she will do well among white women. She'll do better among college-educated folk um, and college-educated whites. And that was to an extent true, but she did far worse among every other um, 
white group, like the lower educated whites or middle class. And in fact, Trump actually won every single breakdown of the white vote, whether it was the middle class, wealthy, lower educated, higher educated men, women, racist, non-racist. He won them all. But he wasn't expected to win the women vote? The women, the white women vote? No, I think that there were some that he was expected to do, like, either lose or be, like, um, incredibly close. Yeah, a lot of people probably thought that women would turn out for Hillary Clinton. Right. Uh, like, a big part of it was, like, the white suburban women, like, the soccer moms, that they would actually vote for Clinton because Trump's uh, misogyny. Yeah, also because a lot of the comments that he made grabbing by the pussy, I mean, like, all those kinds of comments right. um, would have an effect on the women vote, but it didn't. So he won the the white vote more or less the same as Romney did. Um, but what's so Romney still lost four years ago. So what happened with Clinton is that she did worse among uh, the black community. Actually, she won by eighty points, which seems like a lot. But Obama won that demographic by ninety points. So that's a huge difference. Did you get a chance to look at Latinos? Yeah. So Latinos is a bit difficult. I think it, he did. Trump did better among Latinos than Romney did, which is slightly surprising. However, a lot of different uh, Latino groups have since come out and said that like those polls were not accurate and like that stuff is not representative. Yeah, there's also a really interesting article from, I believe it was Nate Cohn, definitely someone at the Upshot at the New York Times, um, which is a sort of cultural commentary as well as I think reflects on this this poll conversation. He wrote about how people um, who uh, you know immigrated from what we would normally consider Latino countries and or are the descendants of uh, Latin American immigrants are no longer identifying as Latino. They're increasingly in like things like census data, right? No one can like correct your input. They are identifying as white, even if they come again, like have like all the hallmarks of um, a Latino. And that's, you know, again, because of the sort of uh, a trend that has arguably, sorry, that's a trend that has increased recently because of at least arguably some of the political rhetoric. So that just makes it tying back to Nitan's conversation about how the Latinos voted. I think it throws like a wrinkle in the armor because um, like how you even measure the Latino vote gets more complicated. Right. And that's an interesting history of exit polls in general and that there was a time when the pollster himself or herself would identify what the race of the individual is instead of asking what that race, uh, instead of asking that individual what his or her race is. Mm. So like the way that the demographic breakdown would shift because of that is also pretty interesting. I just want to keep on going about um, education levels, which I, I think we had mentioned on this podcast, how education is going to play a massive role in this election and also the divide in America. And that actually turned out to be true. One of the few things that turned out to be true that we said on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so as it turned out, college educated uh, individuals preferred Clinton by eight in general and non-college educated preferred Trump by eight. That's the widest gap uh, among education levels since I think they began doing exit polls. Um, and that is a shift that I think will probably continue to grow. Um, and finally, one other thing I wanted to mention was how um, age also played a ma- major role in this election. So millennials uh, preferred Clinton over Trump by 55 to 37, which is an 18-point gap, right? That's pretty significant. Obama won 62 to 38, uh, in 2012, which is a 24-point gap. So while the Republican candidate was more or less in line with previous Republicans, the Democratic candidate wasn't able to replicate the amount of support that Obama did four years ago. And that's mostly due to the fact that millennials 
preferred third-party candidate or were more inclined to vote for a third-party candidate than they were for Clinton. So young and idealistic, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, so that, was, so that was basically, I think, you know, the election in a nutshell is that Clinton underperformed with minority communities and she underperformed with millennials while Trump more or less kept the whites so in his column. Do you think a Bernie Sanders-Clinton ticket would have brought in the millennials? Ah, who knows? I, I really have it's no idea. A, it's a fun thought experiment. It's a fun thought experiment, <laughs> but like, it, it's, it's hard to say, you know, like in an ideal world, I guess. One of the, I think, maybe interesting ways to think about those results is that, um, you know, pre-election day, but post the Brexit results, The Economist had, had a sort of provocative um, cover where, I don't remember how they phrased it, but they're basically, like their cover article was about how the divide, at least in European politics, is no longer necessarily like conservative or liberal, but open versus closed, right? So whether you're like open to like single market and, and the EU or like closed as in like populist and nationalist. Um, and thinking about how sort of like the ground has maybe shifted in like political alignments, I think maybe a way to consider beginning thinking about the U.S. political alignments is not only like Democrat and Republican, but also I think um, college educated or not. Like that seemed to be, um, if I'm understanding what you're saying correctly, like one of the single greatest factors in determining how someone would vote um, in 2016. Okay, so a lot of things to be thinking about moving forward. So uh, as we wallow in our despair and uh, drink lots of uh, high, expensive cocktails at hip bars, that's, a, that's how I've been dealing with it. What have you guys been doing? Um, so what, what do you guys honestly think is going to happen over the next four years? Why don't we start off with Josh? Um, I definitely think that he's going to repeal most of what Obama did, I mean, in terms of like the Paris Agreement, most of the EPA regulations, pulling out of the Iran deal, repealing most of Obamacare, um, getting rid of Dodd-Frank. I mean, most of like the big things that that Obama did, um, you know, that, that like executive action wise also, I think he's going to he's going to get rid of. And to me, like the saddest part of that is the people who um, Nitsan mentioned before who really turned out for him in the election, which is um you know, non, non-college educated will probably be most hurt by his policies because to me, I think he's probably most likely going to pass something which is close to the Ryan budget, which cuts entitlements and welfare programs, uh, big league. Because the election was razor thin and also because of the fact um, that like Trump said all these awful, horrible things against the Gold Star family and also against women and against Muslims, like it really goes to show you like how much people really wanted to shake up the system. And I'm not confident, especially because of what we mentioned before with, um, with, his, with Trump's appointments, um, and also like not coming out with that crazy of an agenda, that, that he'll really like shake things up. And I think that people are, go- like, he, people are going to realize very quickly that like he just uh, performed like the best trick that the American people have ever seen that like he kind of like said that he was going to change things up and he's pretty much going to just like pass a pretty classic Republican agenda. Um, I don't know. I'm wary of making predictions um, 
And that's, I guess, maybe my only <laughs> prediction, which is that they're, you know, I think it's important. <laughs> to- no, that's just funny. That <laughs> What's the first rule of Fight Club? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, there are so many things we assume to be true as far as like things we could predict about our political process. And Donald Trump, like, just like, flipped a massive or actually a tiny middle finger um, as he like disproved (laughs) each and every one of them. So for me, I almost think that it's really hard to make a compelling prediction about what will come in the next uh, couple of years. And the only, um, I guess, uh, um, instruction I would have is like not to, not to make predictions based upon assumptions of the way things like, probably will work or typically have worked because we've seen like those that type of thinking to like not be as compelling when it comes to Trump. I happen to agree that it looks more like at this point it he's going to be more like a typical Republican president, but I I fully expect that over the next 4 years we're going to see similar kinds of scandals, similar kinds of like people stepping down from their positions like People just getting into weird behind-the-scenes fights that nobody quite understands, like, you know, Chris Christie versus whoever the fuck it was that got Chris Christie off the transition team. Um, It's because they put Jared Kushner's dad in jail. (laughs) (laughs) Is that really it? Yeah, Yeah. pretty much. Arguably. It's not clear. No, it's speculation. It's also because he's probably going to go to jail. Uh, whether or not that's true or not, that's awesome speculation. Um, so, wow, yeah, okay, cool. Uh, but I expect that we're just going to see a whole lot of that. It's going to be extremely messy. It's going to be like, you know, him ca- firing his campaign manager halfway through the campaign. And that, it's going to be that just that kind of stuff happening uh, all throughout the next four years. So it's going to be pretty disorganized. Well, Hopefully if, it'll work out fine. Yeah, <laughs> if a campaign is indicative of how you're going to govern then you're, it's going to be a rocky four or eight years. You heard it here first, Don Jr., uh, 2024. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, to that, um, I mean, I've read a lot of stuff about, like, the death of the Democratic Party after the election and how they need to reform and, and all these things. And I would just argue that, you know, she, Hillary Clinton, who is immensely unpopular, lost three states, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan, and Michigan hasn't even been called yet by combined 70,000 votes, which is nothing. So, you know, a few more minorities turn out, more millennials turn out and vote for Democrats instead of third party. Like, we, we would be talking about a Clinton White House. So I don't know necessarily if the Democratic Party needs to make, you know, these massive drastic changes in order to convince the electorate to put them in office again. It could be just as simple as electing someone who's able to you know, excite the base more and n- narrow the gap among, you know, the working class. And also the fact that they're going to be the opposition party um, plays, could play to their benefit in a lot of ways because it's much easier to criticize from the outside than to offer solutions to problems when you're already on the inside. So I agree with you. Like, there's there's no, you know, I, don't, I think it's a um, overreaction to... Uh, start calling for like how we can like you know uh, dismantle the democratic party and build it from scratch however the only i think like complication in in what you were saying is that like yes basically you're pointing out that seventy thousand votes in those three states you know could have swung the election towards hillary but 
that was the margin she lost by against a Donald Trump, who was like, for a lot of reasons, a historically weak candidate as well. So it could be that like um, there really is more wrong, perhaps, with the Democratic Party or with Hillary. That's like the difficulty, because like it, with, with a stronger or more classical Republican candidate, perhaps like she would have gotten beaten by a whole lot more. Yeah, I, I hear that and I agree. But I'm saying that like, in you know, in in recent history, in 2000, Bush lost the popular vote, but won the Electoral College. In 2004, he won, um, you know, by slightly more in the popular vote and Electoral College. And nobody, and, you know, the Dems were, you know, practically apocalyptic. And, and it was like, we have nobody next in line to beat him and blah, blah, blah. Who's going to do it? And all of a sudden, you have like somebody like Barack Obama rise and nobody knew who he was, you know, in 2000. And he was you know, pretty unknown in 2004, and he was a president in 2008. So things can really change on a dime. Um, and, you know, another point, just to pr- another thing just to prove that is the fact that Donald Trump's a president. You know, like, <laughs> a year ago, who would have who thought that he would be president of the United States? And, and the Republicans were already, like, thinking about ways that they can rebuild their party. So things change rapidly in politics. I wouldn't uh, give up hope if you're a Democrat, and nor would I be so confident if you're a Republican. Now, I knew this as soon as I saw the episode of Celebrity Apprentice where Donald... Where he handled Gary Busey so brilliantly. (laughs) Yeah, I knew I saw President Trump right there. Uh, You know, I I, I just... It's so... Are we seeing the beginning of the Trumps, meaning like we have the Kennedys, the Bushes, the Clintons? I really hope not, and I don't (laughs) think so. But uh, just just one more point... Um, I think a lot of people, including myself, have been very, very jaded and very, very depressed about what's going on and saying and like saying we're not going to be politically active and saying we're not going to read any more politics and not really give a shit about what's going on. And I think that's like a huge mistake, especially if you're, you know, in that situation and you're really, really sad about what's going on. Like, go out and do something about it. And I'm not necessarily saying, like, go volunteer or do anything like about that. But, like, don't say that you're going to just completely... Um, you know, ignore everything in the world because I tried doing that and it's, you can't do it. Like it's just like, to me, news is like crack. Like you really, really just want to see like what's going on. (laughs) I do at least. Um, And And, and also you buy it secondhand from the guy down the street. Correct. Correct. (laughs) Uh, And so just don't like, yes. Okay. Like you, you're allowed to have like your Shiva time that you're really sad about what happened. And, but like now it's time to like see what happens next. Like, you know, be politically active and, 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 and figure out what's going to happen. Yes. So now we're up to our final segment, the secret stash, where we share something that we found, some cool thing, hopefully not politics related and election related, but it's okay if it is. So uh, Romano, why don't you share us your secret stash? A couple of days ago, I was reading the New York Times uh, briefing, which I do every morning. And at the bottom of um, at a bom- at the bottom of the briefing, it usually has like a backstory, something like cool that they found. And what I thought was interesting was that Brazil is celebrating a very important holiday today. Uh, it's called Black Consci- Consciousness Day, uh, which was basically the day that um, Brazil got rid of slavery. And I just thought that was very interesting that they like had a day specifically for that, and um, they have this uh, thing also called the Freedom Walk, which is a parade around the country 
uh, meant to show the actual size of the black population now. And um, the date was set for the anniversary of the death of uh, Zumbi Dos Palmares, who was one of the great black heroes of the Americas. He led a small kingdom founded by runaway slaves. Um, but, um, yeah, that's it. My Secret Stash this week is a website that probably most of us have heard of, but I think is underutilized, and that is SoundCloud.com. Um, I recently rediscovered the sort of uh, magical troves of uh, great tracks on SoundCloud, and basically the reason that I love it is because there's a lot of really cool remixes of popular songs or old songs that you could find on there and also like mashups so combinations of two or more different songs that are just like kind of cool and provocative um and i would encourage anyone who like thinks that's of their interest to just like go on soundcloud and and search like some of the bands you like or some of the songs you've been listening to recently and just listen to some of the um, like sort of like alternative takes that you find in your results because there's just like a, a lot of real really cool things to uncover there. This episode is brought to you by SoundCloud. SoundCloud, great mix-ups. <laughs> My secret stash is so a podcast uh, that I've I've listened to many times, but the the podcast the the ep- set of the series of episodes within this podcast that I'm obsessed with. This is Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. His coverage of the First World War is just masterful it is brilliant like on every level the the story is brilliant the the different anecdotes that he brings in throughout the narrative is amazing he covers things very very thoroughly he really like puts you in the perspective or tries to and i think tries very it does a pretty good job of it put you in the perspective of like a soldier trying to like going through this in sane experience uh intense experience that these people had to go through and also putting it in greater perspective of how uh honestly pointless it all was and all the different characters involved and all the generals and what they were feeling and what we should it's and every part of it is just so brilliant and it's six three hour episodes so it's super long and i've listened to it through about four times <laughs> um over the course of a few years not like all at once but i just i highly recommend it to everyone and and you you can't really tell based on the title of his episodes which one are which so it's called blueprint for armageddon um so check it out it's dan carlin's hardcore history the episodes are blueprint for armageddon one through six and my secret stash this week is actually sort of a warning to all the hummus lovers out there and that sabra had recently recalled uh their hummus over listeria concerns so don't buy sabra hummus and um that is it hummus exp- or products? It says hummus. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, it says hummus products. So any sort of hummus products there are. <laughs> um, so um, I think they said that you know anything bef- that has an expiration date before January 19th or 20th, you shouldn't buy. Um, there's so there's a website called, I think it's, is it Goggle? Oh, Google. There's a Google where you could probably find more information. Sure. <laughs> this episode is not brought to you by Sabra Hummus. <laughs> Sabra Hummus. Don't get listeria. <laughs> That's it for this week. I want to thank the host, uh, Mr. Joshua Hamos. Hey, guys. Uh, Nitsan Rivlin. And Rafi Blumenthal. Thank you. I'm Josh Romano. Uh, you can like us on any of the social platforms that you 